Well, good morning. Happy Easter. And thank you for being here with us today. And to all of our guests, a special welcome. It's great to have you with us. Um, This has been a transformational Easter for me. I had an awesome time with Jesus last night. And I had already determined if nobody showed up for church, (laughs) I was going to have an awesome time. Because I think Jesus walked me through some things last night that helped me identify with the woman in our story this morning. I want to tell you a story about a woman named Mary or Maria of Magdala. She was a prostitute living during the time of Jesus. She experienced something so radical that she becomes the focal point for the very first Easter and has an encounter that became for all of history the best news ever. And so this morning we're launching a brand new series. I invite you to come back for part two and part three as well. What if I were the one to tell you this morning that Easter actually was quite dark, the first Easter. The first Easter wasn't very pretty at all. What if I was to tell you that the first Easter would have surprised you had you been there and realized all that went on preceding the resurrection. Jesus is betrayed by one of his own staff members with a kiss. That's the sign they worked out between him and the officers who were going to come and put him in chains and walk him off. The person, he had an agreement, the person I walk up to and kiss, that's the person. That's the one that you're looking for. That's the individual that you want to cuff and haul off. Imagine that, a staff member, somebody you've trusted, selling you out. Then, the scripture says that when that happened, and they were walking Jesus off to jail, all of his disciples deserted him. I'm quoting. In fact, the guards tried to catch one of them that was just sort of in a a, a tunic, a white tunic. It was an all one piece nightshirt, what you and I might sleep in. And they tried to catch him, and he ripped away from them, and the scripture says he ran away naked. Now, this is the first Easter, y'all. All right? This is the first Easter. Jesus has just been betrayed with a kiss. All of his disciples have just turned around and left him, and one of them is running away down the street, buck naked. 
when's the last time you celebrated Easter <laughs> with somebody running away buck naked? The scripture also says that they were trying to find evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. Easter was ugly. This first Easter was not pretty. It was actually pretty dark. He was tried. He was falsely accused. He had false testimony born against him, and they lied about him. Then he was cruelly beaten. And I'm not talking about his scourging yet. I'm talking about a part before the scourging where they had him in the custody of the high priest where they just begin to slap him and spit on him and call him disgusting names and beat him, slapping him around, bruising him. It had gotten late at night, and so they decided just to stick him in a holding cell and keep him overnight. This is, again, the religious leaders that are doing this. The high priest, they're at his palace, the high priest. So first thing in the morning, they get up and they take Jesus to Pontius Pilate. Now keep in mind that during all of this that's going on, in that nighttime, when they hauled him off to Pontius Pilate and into the courtyard of the governor's palace, prophesied by Jesus, Peter denied Jesus three times. Because somebody there, a relative of one of the individuals who was a guard, who went to arrest Jesus, who had his ear sliced off by Peter, impetuous Peter, who grabbed a sword and sliced his ear off while they were arresting Jesus. Oh, by the way, Jesus picked the ear up off the ground and put it back on the guy's face or head and healed him supernaturally. So they haul Jesus off. He goes, spends the night with the high priest in their courtyard, and then he's hauled off to the governor's mansion, to Pilate's place. And there, Peter... Again, trusted associate, dear disciple of Jesus, denies that he even knows Jesus three times when asked by a little maid girl that was there and saw him arrested. Said, you were with him. You were with him when they arrested him. Peter said, I was not. I didn't have anything to do with him. I don't even know him. Three times. Then came the second trial, the mocking, the scourging, and the crucifixion. Life can be ugly. And the first Easter wasn't pretty. Let's talk about the trial. This is the scripture. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, the Roman governor's judgment hall. It was still early in the day, so the Jews didn't go into the courtroom for fear of contracting some impurity which would have obligated them to separate themselves from eating the Passover. Imagine that. You are so religious that you can't follow Jesus into the courtyard because you're concerned that you are going to get something, that you'll catch something that causes you to be unclean and you can't celebrate Passover. You know, some of those relatives are still in the world today. They're still around. People who are so religious and caught up in religion, they can't even share another church service with another group for fear that it might obligate them 
Verse 29, then Pilate went outside to face them and asked, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, if he wasn't an evildoer, we wouldn't have wasted your time with this court case in the first place. And then Pilate said, take him and judge him according to your law. And they said, our law does not allow a death sentence. Remember, they were trying to put him to death. They were seeking to put him to death. Verse 32, make note of this. This was also to confirm what Jesus had said about the manner in which he would die. Let's talk about the crucifixion now. We'll fast forward. This is from the book of John in chapter 18, in verse 16. Chapter 19, verse 16. Then they handed Jesus over to them to be crucified, and they led him away. There they crucified Jesus along with two others on either side of him. Standing by the cross were three Marys, the mother of Jesus, his Aunt Mary, and the wife of, Clo uh, the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. There's our girl. There's the lady of our story this morning. With this, Jesus realizing, now we're fast forwarding through this crucifixion, so now he's on the cross. Now he's hanging there. He's dying. And with this, verse 28, realizing that all things are now fully accomplished and that what was written to be fulfilled said, he said, I thirst. There was a jar filled with vinegar in which someone dipped a sponge attached to a branch of hyssop and they lifted it to his mouth and when Jesus had take, taken or tasted the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Would everybody repeat those three words? Very, very important. Our entire faith rests on those three words. It is finished. You know what I want to do this morning in this story about Maria of Magdala is tell you the best news ever. It is finished. He then bowed his head and he handed over the spirit. Though this was a very dark time and it wasn't pretty, God was absolutely in control. And when Jesus was ready, he released his spirit, one translation said. Imagine that. He's hanging on the cross. He's been beaten. He's been tortured. He's had all manner of lies told about him. He's had all of his disciples walk out on him. Peter, most trusted, lied about him, said, I don't even know him. And now he's hanging there, alone, except for three Marys who have gathered and some of the other townspeople who are watching him die on the cross. And he says two, he says three of the most important words in all of the universe. It is finished. He then bowed his head and he, I release my spirit. It's time. I release my spirit. Let me comment about these couple of things here for just a second about what's happening. First of all, crucifixion was a Roman way of putting people to death. It wasn't a Jewish punishment. Jews considered crucifixion a curse. Anybody who hung on a tree was accursed. 
so for Jesus, the Jewish king, for Jesus, the one that all of his disciples and followers had hoped was coming to deliver them and set them free from Rome and bring them into a new life, for him to be hanging on the cross, it was the worst possible, darkest scenario. It was not only the worst punishment, it was the worst possible failure. You might be sitting here this morning and though it's Easter, you have some very ugly and dark things going on in your life. In fact, you may feel like a complete failure, like plans you had, good intentions you had planned, things that you were absolutely sure of. They're dying. All the circumstances look like it's dark. This isn't going to work out. This isn't what we thought it would be. That was the circumstances here. That was the scenario. Jesus hung there as a curse, an absolute failure. And in 1 John chapter 3, We're told this, we have witnessed with our own eyes how in the unveiling of the prophetic word, when he was lifted up upon the cross as the Lamb of God, he lifted up our sins and broke its dominion and rule over us. See, there was a reason that Jesus was put on a cross and lifted up. It was prophesied that this was the way Christ was going to bring redemption to all of humankind. John chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away, that's the word R-O, the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, Jesus, who, notice it does not say forgives your sin. For most Christians, Easter is about an insurance policy. A nice story about a Savior who came and lived on earth. He was punished for our sins. He hung on a cross. And then he rose again and he went back to heaven. And because of all of that, if I'll believe on that, then he'll forgive my sins and I'll get to go to heaven too. And basically, that's the Easter story for most people. And actually, Going to heaven has almost nothing to do with Easter. And just you personally being forgiven of sin is only a small part of what happened when Jesus yielded up his spirit and said these words, it is finished. We go to another passage in John chapter 12. Now is the judgment of this world Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all judgment unto me. He said this to show by what manner of death he would die. Dear ones, do you realize that what happened on that cross when Jesus was lifted up was far more than just the forgiveness of your sins? All of the judgment... In the universe, the judgment of earth, 
the judgment of the cosmos, the judgment of hum humanity, everything that's bad, that goes wrong, that's condemning, that's evil, that's ugly, that's broken, that violates the integrity of you as a human being, every judgment in the universe. Jesus took into himself and canceled. He drew all of the judgment of the universe into himself and on that cross canceled it. And also, as we saw in this previous scripture, he was lifted up for our sins and he broke its dominion and rule over us. What Jesus did not only forgave, made the way to forgive sins, he broke the dominion of sin. He broke what everything that was wrong in the universe, he broke it, stopped it, and paid the price for it. Let's fast forward now to the resurrection. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, this is Marie of Magdala, came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, that happens to be John, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken away the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple, that's John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stopped and he looked in and he saw the linen wrappings there, but they didn't go in. He didn't go in, but Simon Peter arrived and he went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw, and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scripture that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Now get this. They've seen this. They have some understanding, but limited. And then they go home. I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was 10 years old. I started living for the Lord when I turned 15 and I surrendered my life to Christ. I'm 60. That's a long time. And last night, I found myself on my knees praying and crying, God, I don't want to see your burial. I don't want to see your death on the cross and the tomb where you were buried and your resurrection in the same way that I viewed it now for what is that? 45 years. 
That's longer than many people in this room have been alive. 45 years I have had a particular view of the resurrection. And I never knew what Jesus really did. I thought it was just to forgive me of my sins and to make things okay for me so that I could go to heaven when this life is over. And I didn't know. I didn't understand. I was like Peter and John who ran with all my excitement to look in the tomb and to see. And I believed. I believed that Jesus did what he said he was going to do, that his body wasn't stolen, that he did rise. But I didn't know why. Somebody else ran to that tomb. We haven't talked about them yet. I'm going to continue in the mirror translation. But Maria of Magdala remained facing the tomb, weeping. Then she stooped down, watch this, and she gazed into the tomb. That Greek word means to stoop down, to bend forward, and to view attentively with scrutiny. She saw two angels dressed in dazzling white seated, one at the head and the other at the feet where Jesus' body had been lying. And they asked her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They took my Lord away. I do not know where they have put him. Now I want you to get something here. Because for the next few minutes, if you will ask the help of the Holy Spirit to zero in on what the scripture says here. I believe that this Easter can completely transform your walk with God and your understanding of why Jesus came. Two of his beloved disciples, one John and the other Peter, they ran to that tomb Peter went in. John stayed out. Peter looked around. And then John got enough courage to look in. And they decided, well, he's not here. He's risen. And they went home. Mary of Magdala, however, stayed. I don't know everything she was doing. But I know this, she stayed when the others had gone. She wanted something more. She wanted to know what had happened. The Bible says that when she looked in, she leaned in there and she looked intently. There was something different than just that casual, hmm, okay, let's go home. He's not here. How many of us have done that with our Christianity? How many of us have done that with the Bible? How many of us have done that with religion and faith? Okay, I understand now. I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven if I'll believe on Jesus. But it's never sunk in 
to where it transforms the way we live, the way we breathe, the way we think. Like Maria of Magdala, who stayed. They went home. The guys, the boys, the guys went home. Maria stayed and gazed and prayed and looked and prayed and sought and stayed and soaked. And then all of a sudden she heard something. You know what? People who stay and soak will always hear something that the others who have gone home won't ever hear. She also saw something. She saw an angel. No, not one, two angels. One at the foot and one at the head where the body of Jesus had been laid. Well, how come Peter didn't see that? How come John didn't see that? Because like a lot of us, they weren't interested in the best news ever. They weren't interested in a faith that literally transforms every breath you breathe and every thought you think, every place you go and every relationship you have. They just wanted a fire insurance policy. They ran up, looked in. Oh, he's not here. Let's go home, guys. (laughs) Not Maria of Magdala. She stayed. She looked. She prayed. She soaked. Then she heard and saw something that people that leave too quick never hear and never see. Where are you at in your spiritual journey this morning? Are you on spiritual light? Or are you on heavy soak? Are you just satisfied with the status quo? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I've been forgiven. I've got an insurance policy now. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Really? Is that your faith? Or do you have a faith like Maria of Magdala that stays at the tomb? That not just looks in and sees temporarily what's going on, but soaks. I've got to hear. I've got to see. I want to know something beyond what everybody else is saying and believing about God. I want a personal experience. I want to hear. I want to see for myself that he's alive. And if he is, it changes everything. As she said this, she looked around as if instinctively she felt the presence. I want to stop for just a moment. I'm not going to let you read forward. Have you ever been busy doing something and somebody kind of walks up at least into the room or like behind you unaware, but you can feel them? You know what that's like? You know what I'm talking about? You haven't seen them yet. They didn't say, hey, 
They just, they walk in real quietly. You didn't hear the door. How many of you have been surprised and you jump and say, oh, this happened to us the other day. I walked into the closet. We have a walk-in closet. And my wife was in there. And, and I walked in and I didn't say anything. I did say, hey, I didn't, you know, I wasn't loud. I just was walking into the closet. And oop, she jumped. I said, oh, you scared me. And I said, oh, well, I live here. <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> Does your faith scare you? Is there anything about your faith that surprises you? Or has it just become, you know, we're, we're, we're here this morning at church because that's what you do on Easter. Huh. Go home. It's almost like, go home. But if like Maria, you want to you wanna soak because you want to see something other people don't see. You want to hear something other people don't hear. You want your faith to surprise you, to keep you on your toes, to fill your life with excitement. He's alive. He's risen. I was at the racquetball court this past Friday, something I do regularly each week, go to the racquetball court. We were there at 6 a.m. Several of the buddies that I play racquetball with are believers, not all of my particular faith, but believers. It is not uncommon for us to greet one another warmly and shake hands, but Friday, we shook hands and then hugged real big, and I said, he is risen. And you know what they said back? He is risen. I did that to several people. He is risen. <laughs> and they'd say back to me, he is risen. I want a faith that walks with me, that drives the car with me. I, I want to I wanna know somebody so real and so tangible that it changes the way I think, the way I talk, where I go, how I live, and how I enjoy life. That's what Maria wanted. She wanted to see and hear something so transformational. Watch this. She felt the presence of someone behind her and saw Jesus standing there, but did not immediately recognize him. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? And she thought he was the gardener and said, sir, if you have taken him away, please tell me where you have put him so that I might fetch him. And Jesus said to her, Miriam, have you ever heard Jesus say your name? Have you ever heard Jesus speak your name in a way that so transforms your life that he's all you want? And she turned in her step and exclaimed, Rabboni, which is Aramaic for my teacher, and she must have grabbed him because the very next sentence says, you'll have to let go of me so that I can continue on to the Father. Imagine that. Come here. Come here again. I need a man. All right, so just stand there like Jesus, kind of innocently stand there. 
So, and so I'm looking and I'm gazing and I'm praying and I'm crying because I'm, I'm being transfer, transformed by the best news ever. And all of a sudden, And I notice, I notice Jesus. But I think he's the gardener. Yeah. Why are you weeping? Where have you taken him? If you put him someplace else? Jeff. Rabboni. Rabboni. I think actually she was probably down around his legs, just hugging him, kneeling in respect and honor. I couldn't do that with a woman, thank you. <laughs> it felt awkward even. I thought about doing it with Nina, and it just it, it didn't seem to fit. She grabbed him. She was holding on to him. Is there anything in your faith today that grabs Jesus? That grabbed, I'm not talking about church. I'm not talking about choir practice. I'm not talking about all of the good things, good works, services that we do for God. I'm talking about grabbing a hold of Jesus in a way that when he speaks your name, you are transformed. You know immediately, Rabboni, that's, that's my savior, that's my teacher. That's the one I spent three years following. I thought, he, I thought you were dead. I thought you lied. It was so ugly. They cursed you. They spit on you. They beat you. I was there when they flogged you. You, you were a mass of blood. I, didn't, I couldn't even recognize you. Jesus, it's you. You're lying. All the others left. They, they ran. They, they're hiding. You're lying. And I was on my knees last night asking, why did Jesus appear to Maria and not Peter and James? Why did the angels appear to Maria and not Peter and James? Why did Maria actually get to touch Jesus and hold him? but not James and Peter.
Maria stayed and gazed. Maria lingered 
in thankfulness. Maria lingered in humility. Maria was the woman caught in adultery that was brought before Jesus that they were getting ready to stone. I never knew that. Until this Easter. You see, Maria experienced something. The best news ever. The work is already done. It is finished. And not just for me and my personal sins, but what Maria saw that day that caused her to stay, to hear, and to see was she realized that this now applied to all of humanity. Ephesians 1.4 And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. Ephesians chapter 2, 5 and 6a, even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. And then he raised us up with Christ. You see, when Jesus hung there that day, crucified, you were there with him. All of humanity was there on that cross with him. When he went into that grave, all of humanity went into that grave with him. But when he came up out of that grave, it was sealed, it was done, all of humanity was forgiven. <laughs> you know, I guess, when you've been so deeply forgiven that it's transformed your life, you want to stay. You want to gaze. You want to look. You want to hear. And you want to see. It's the best news ever. <laughs>